Luke 22, verses 14 through 20 say this. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And when he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is, in, is that poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for sending your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem men. I thank you, Father, for doing for us what we could not, or thank you, Son, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have lived a life for us, you have died the death for us, and you rose for our justification. And I pray that this evening we understand the importance of the meal that you have given to us that points back at your death. May we not take it lightly. But may we always, when we consider the Lord's Supper, think of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So help us this evening consider the Lord's Supper in all of its glory and majesty. We pray, Father, that you will help us as uh, in, in, in our minds and in our souls and spirits and our eyes and ears, that you will inflame our hearts for Jesus Christ, that we will see the Lord's Supper for all that it is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we want to, if you were here last evening, uh, Pastor Antonio uh, preached a lesson on the nature of the Lord's Supper. And I think it's fitting that we continue that and we speak of an aspect of the Lord's Supper that many talk about, uh, that many think that the Lord's Supper primarily is, uh, but we should not neglect it. And considering that we have two people uh, who will be, for the first time, taking the Lord's Supper uh, with us, uh, I think it's a fitting thing to do, but also to remind us of how we are to view the Lord's Supper, but also not merely the Lord's Supper, but our salvation in Christ. You see, we can't just view the Lord's Supper and the glory of the Lord's Supper without first and foremost viewing the glory and the beauty and the majesty of our salvation in Christ. So, if you were, if someone was to ask you, uh, how would you define the Lord's Supper? Or rather, how do you view the Lord's Supper? How do you see the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is an earthly encounter with the heavenly Christ, said the Puritans. An earthly encounter with the heavenly Christ. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, meets with his people. He comes in the midst of his people. And how great of that of, of, of a, uh, advantage that is for us. And how glorious is that? Where Jesus Christ meets with us when we gather. He meets with us when the word of God is proclaimed rightly. And he meets with us when we rightly administer the Lord's Supper. So, if one was to ask, do you mean that Jesus Christ is in our midst 
Well, not physically, but spiritually. He is with us by the Spirit. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, has a helpful way of seeing the Lord's Supper. Thomas Watson viewed the Lord's Supper as a visible sermon, a mirror in which to gaze on the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. Meaning when you behold and look at the element of the supper, you are gazing upon the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ. Watson would say, God, to help our faith, does not only give us an audible word, but a visible sign. All of us need some sort of illustration, do we not, in order for us to see things clearly. Many of us learn that type of way. Draw something out for me so I can understand it better. Well, what God has done for us in Christ is he hasn't drawn out the death and the sufferings of his son, but rather he has given to us physical elements that we can see, we can smell, we can touch, and we can taste in order for us to see the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. Watson couldn't be more correct. The Lord's Supper points to many truths of the Christian life, does it not? And the first truth that the Lord's Supper points to is the death of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the Supper tonight, uh, saints, we are to remember something from the past. We are to remember something from the past. You might have heard the story before, but when I was in Washington, D.C., I saw many things, many buildings, uh, many monuments that pointed to something from the past. The visible signs of the bread and of the cup connects us to over 2,000 years ago and reminds us of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary. Jesus says in Luke twenty-two, nineteen and 20, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ says that we are to remember something when we behold the element of the Lord's Supper. And this theme of remembrance is not something that's new to the mind of Christ or to the New Testament. But this theme of remembrance plays a big role in the Old Testament. We see after the flood, God gives, tells Noah that the rainbow is the covenant sign in which he will not cover the whole earth in judgment and water again. And each time the sign of the rainbow appears... The covenant is to be remembered. We are to remember the covenant that God has made with mankind that he will not destroy the earth by water. This is what is said in Genesis 9, verses 16 and 17. And when the bow, and when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature on the flesh that is on the earth. The covenantal sign of the rainbow reassures us of God's promises that still apply today. We see this theme of remembrance in the relationship between God and Israel. The Passover meal was to be a memorial meal that 
pointed to the Israelites back to their redemption out of bondage and slavery. Every year, the Israelites would participate in this meal to remember the God who saved them. This is what God says in Exodus 12:20. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Another memorial that we see in the Old Covenant is the Sabbath. The Sabbath each Saturday was to remind the people that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And this remembrance is what Christ calls us to participate in each time we come to the Lord's table. Christ tells the disciples that when they gather to partake of the bread and drink of the cup, they are to remember what those elements signify. In other words, the elements of the Lord's Supper carry great significance. It doesn't matter what the juice or the wine tastes like. It doesn't matter what the bread tastes like. What matters is what they point to, what they signify. Although it's just bread, although it's just juice or wine, that bread or that juice or wine points to something far greater. The bread, broken bread, points to the body of the Lord. The body that was broken for our sake. This is what Isaiah 42.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the body of Christ that was crushed on the behalf of his people. It was our Lord's back that was bruised. And it was our Lord's back that was whipped. And just as the bread is to remind us of the body of Christ, the cup is to remind us of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Christ inaugurates the new covenant by the shedding of his blood. And isn't, isn't that glorious as we hold the cup in our hands? This cup signifies the inauguration of the covenant of grace. When we drink of the cup, it's saying that we do not have to earn our salvation. It doesn't matter how fast we are, how strong we are. That Jesus Christ has paid it all. That is what the new covenant says to us. It represents union with Christ. And there is only way to be united to Christ. And that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That is what we are to do, to think, when we are holding the cup in our hands and holding the bread in our hands. We know that in order for the Father's wrath to be appeased, a perfect, spotless blood sacrifice had to be offered up. In order for our sins to be forgiven, blood from a perfect sacrifice had to be shed. And saints, it is the blood from the God-man, Jesus Christ, where we have forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It is Christ's blood that removes our punishment because he is the God-man. It's Christ's blood that removes the barrier between sinful man and holy God. And saints, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are connecting ourselves to the time when Christ redeemed our sins by 
his precious blood. Isn't that outrageous and scandalous? That it took someone's blood, mind you, an innocent person, the only innocent person that's ever lived, in order for you to be reconciled to God. In order for you to have peace with God, someone had to die. And just so happened that that someone was the Father's Son, the one who knew no sin. He became sin for us. We were reminded at the table of that one perfect life that was lived on our behalf and that one perfect sacrifice that was offered up on our behalf. Jesus Christ on the cross paid a debt that he did not owe. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. The Lord's Supper, first and foremost, is a memorial. The elements of the Supper are a picture in which we are to remember what God has done to save us from his wrath. You see, friends, when God saves us, he's not saving us primarily from hell. He's saving us from himself. God saves us from himself. He saves us from his righteous judgment. And for him to save us from his righteous judgment means that he's saving us from his righteous anger and righteous mercy and righteous um, wrath. Friends, you do understand that you in and of yourself could not die for yourself. Even if you lived a life of complete obedience to God, not even in 10,000 lifetimes, if you died 10,000 times, would you properly and correctly and perfectly take away your own sin? But Jesus Christ does because he is truly God and he's truly man. The Lord commands us to remember. But what does it mean for us to remember at the Lord's table? The Puritan John Flavel distinguishes between two types of remembering. The first is speculative, uh, speculative and transient. And the second is affectionate and permanent. He says, quote, A speculative remembrance is only to call to mind the history of such a person and his sufferings. That Christ was once put to death in the flesh. An affectionate remembrance is when we so call Christ and his death to our minds as to fill the powerful impressions thereof upon our hearts. Now friends, did you catch the difference? One is remembering merely the facts of Christ's death. One is merely remembering all of the biblical data, all of the sermons that you've heard in your lifetime concerning Christ's death. And then moving on with the next uh, stage and phase in our lives, that is partaking of the elements. But the other is remembering Christ's death and being stirred and gripped in your heart and in your soul. It is to be moved at the center of our being as you recall the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to remember the grace purchased at Christ's death is the same grace that we need to come to the table. See, friends, one view takes into account, this is just the Lord's Supper and He died for me. But the other view says this is the Lord's Supper 
and they make their pilgrimage to Calvary's cross. That's the difference. It's to see Christ, to see your bloody Savior. It's to look upon Christ as the soldiers looked upon Christ and say, truly, this was the Lamb of God. It's to have your affection stirred up. It's to have your heart inflamed. How many of us go through the motions thinking that this is just some thing we do every single Sunday? Let me get over and done with it and let me move on with the rest of my life. Well, friends, if that is your attitude to the Lord's Supper, then let me be frank with you. Don't come to the Lord's Supper. If that is your view, then don't come because you don't have a proper understanding of what Christ has done for you. You don't get what Christ has done, but also the great weight that it took for you to be redeemed out of the slave market of sin. We are to have this affectionate view of the Lord's Supper to where you can't even wait to get to the Lord's Supper. Just as when you look at your trophies you've collected while playing sports, when you gaze upon your trophies and when you gaze upon those various certificates that you have uh, acquired over the years. When you do so, what happens? Many of you might see the great things that you had to go through to get that certificate. The great battles and games that you went through to get that trophy. You might even put yourself back to different situations and you might get butterflies, you might even cry, you might even smile a bit. Well, if a trophy or if a wedding tape or simply looking at your wedding ring brings much affection to our being, then how much more should the bread and the cup stir our emotions? How much more should this stir our emotions? You are remembering on the cross that the Father from the pulpit of the cross preached his greatest sermon through his Son, you do understand that on the cross, Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who's ever lived, preached his greatest sermon. That I love you in this way. Where Jesus Christ proved his love for you. We are remembering the words of Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. When you see the bread... Friends, you're remembering the agony on the cross when Christ said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you consider the bread and of the cup, you see the grace and the mercy of Christ on the cross. Do you not? Oh, there was great mercy and grace on the cross when Christ says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And when you see the bread in the cup, we are to see the victory of Christ on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When we see the bread and see the cup, we see Christ crucified in the most vivid of ways. We see his agony. We see his grace and his pastoral heart. But we also see his victory. Friends, Jesus doesn't just want us to remember the cross just for the sake of remembering, but he wants us to grab hold of the cross. He wants us to put both arms around the cross and embrace the cross. 
Saints, the question I have for you this evening is, do you remember the cross of Jesus Christ? And that's not simply something that we are to think of when we come to the Lord's table. That's something that we are to remind ourselves of every single day. Do you remember the cross of Christ or do you have spiritual amnesia? The sad reality is that I think many Christians have spiritual amnesia. That is why we can't grow as Christians. That is why we can't be all that Christ wants us to be. That's why we can't stop sinning. That's why we're so lazy in our reading and so lazy in our praying. It's not our lack of effort, as John Owen says, but it's our our lack of our, our acquaintedness with our privileges in Christ. It's not your lack of effort that you're too tired. It's just you don't understand what Christ has done for you. That is why we need to be reminded every single day, every single hour. And friends, the Lord's Day Sabbath is the first day of the week. And on this first day of the week, what do we do? God has given to us a visible reminder a visible reminder of what he has done for us to help us and carry us along our wilderness wandering. As we close this sermon for this evening, my objective was not to merely teach you about the past aspect of the Lord's Supper, but more so my aim was to raise your love and affections toward the Lord's Supper. When you raise your affections first and foremost to the Lord's Supper, then you are raising your affections first and foremost to Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why many churches don't take the Lord's Supper weekly is because the people think that church might become stagnant in their view of the Lord's Supper, that they might not consider the weight of the Lord's Supper and how serious we are to take the Lord's Supper. That they might take the Lord's Supper for granted because they do it so often, thereby causing the Lord's Supper to lose its unique and special place in the worship service. But friends, one's low view of the Supper lies not in how frequent the church partakes of the Supper, but how intensely one views the Supper. The reason why people don't look at the Lord's Supper the way that they ought to is not because you take it weekly. It's because you don't take it seriously. You don't view it in high regard. The Puritan John Owen was right when he said the one reason why we so little value the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and profit so little by it Maybe because we understand so little of the nature of that special communion with Christ which we have therein. If you want more on that, listen to Pastor Antonio's sermon from last Sunday evening. When he goes into the nature of the Lord's Supper and how first and foremost God communes with his people at the table. In a real yet spiritual way. God is working on you, Christian. That is why when someone tells me, what do I need to do in order for me to read more, to pray more, to stop sinning? The first thing I might tell them is, observe the Lord's Supper. Take hold of the Lord's Supper. 
grab every aspect of the Lord's Supper. For the Lord's Supper is the sweetest meal for the Christian, is it not? It is where we meet with our Christ and eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. It's God's covenantal sign and seal to you, Christian. At the Lord's table, God says to us, if you want to know what God says to us, how God communes with us, and if He was to speak what He tells us, He says, you are my people. And when we partake of the supper, we are answering back to God, you are my God. That is what we do at the table. And that's what we are to think about when we consider the Lord's Supper. That the Lord's Supper is not just this average meal that we do. It's more serious than that Thanksgiving meal that if you were to miss, your mama would be all over you. It's more serious than that Christmas dinner that your family or job does every single year. It's more important than if the President of the United States was going to your house for dinner because Jesus Christ is in our midst. And we remember something far greater than what anyone in history has ever accomplished. We remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and he has lived for us, but also he has died and suffered on our behalf. So friends, I hope now that when we consider the table, that we take serious the table. And the Apostle Paul says that we are to examine ourselves. And friends, how often do we just skip by that whole point of the Lord's Supper? That when the preacher says, examine yourself, you merely close your eyes for 20 seconds and do nothing. But friends, what we are to do is seriously consider our sin in Adam and how much Jesus Christ has paid for us. So friends, this evening I challenge you to examine yourself. But also, I challenge you this evening to look at the Lord's Supper in a way that you've never have before. I challenge you this evening to close your eyes or however you do it and march to Calvary's cross and just sit there and think about every single thing that Christ has done for you, every single privilege that you have in Christ, adoption, glorification, justification, all of those privileges that Ephesians 1 tells us of, all of those gifts, think of those. Then let's come and fellowship with our risen and ascended Lord.